Welcome everyone to another episode of the Amanda Man Games Podcast. This is episode 3. I'm your host, Amanda Man, also known as Aman. And we're trying something new. We're releasing this podcast on a weekday. It's also going to be shorter in length, so bear with us as we experiment here and there. You can follow me on Twitter at Amandaman Game, on Instagram at Amandaman Games, and on Twitch at Amandaman. All the links will be in the description below. So let's jump right into the news because we have a number of things to discuss. So this comes from Matt Kim from IGN. Anthem is getting a major overhaul from Bioware. Bioware General Manager Casey Hudson announced in a new blog post that the developers at Bioware will be redesigning Anthem that will reinvent the core gameplay loop. The effort is meant to be a larger overhaul of Anthem instead of just a series of updates and expansions. In an official Bioware blog post, Hudson thanked readers for one year of Anthem, a game he says represented a big leap into new territory for us as a studio. Hudson acknowledged that since launch, there have been critical feedback from fans saying Anthem needs a more satisfying loot experience, better long-term progression, and a more fulfilling endgame. Over the coming months, we will be focusing on a long-term redesign of the experience, specifically working to reinvent the core gameplay loop with clear goals, motivating challenges, and progression with meaningful rewards, while preserving the fun of flying and fighting in a vast science fantasy setting. To do this, Hudson says the developers at Bioware will be doing something we'd like to have done more of the first time around, giving a focus team the time to test and iterate, focusing on gameplay first. So first of all, this is great. Bioware finally has come out, admitted that Anthem has a lot of issues. It needed a bit more time in the oven. It, it was a buggy mess when it first came out. It didn't really have the loop that we were promised. It didn't really have the story that we were promised. There were a lot of issues with the way the missions were structured. And Bioware did go radio silence for a while. We didn't know what was happening. They wanted to release the cat- Cataclysm events. They wanted to release seasonal events. But everything just fell short in terms of all the, all the things that they had promised before. So I'm glad that they have finally come out with a statement to let everyone know, all the hardcore fans know, that hey, we are working on this. We promise we're completely overhauling this game and it's going to be a lot better, hopefully. I think one question a lot of people must be asking is, why now? It's been a whole year and they released this statement now. So I'm hoping that this means that they already have something ready and it will come out in the next few months. But you never know, maybe this is them finally deciding that they want to take this game into a different direction. Finally realizing that this game has a lot of problems. You, we've seen overhauls like this done in the past and successful overhauls. For most people that don't know Final Fantasy XIV, when it first came out, was a buggy mess, had a lot of issues. They took their time, they overhauled it, changed a lot of things, came out, called it Final Fantasy XIV or Realm Reborn. And now Final Fantasy XIV is one of the most beloved MMOs out there. I myself have tried it. I really liked it. It would suck way too much time uh, out of my life, which is why I, I try to avoid it. But it's a, it's a great game at this point. Uh, the same goes for No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky also had a lot of issues when it first came out. They went back to the drawing board. They took their time, went radio silent, came out with a game called No Man's Sky Beyond. I think that's what it was called. I don't know, I know they retitled it. And now look at No Man's Sky now. It has an amazing VR component. People love where it is now. People love what you can do in that game. It's not buggy. It doesn't have the same issues that it did in the beginning. So I would like to be optimistic about Bioware and their approach to Anthem. I know that they are under the EA umbrella, so you never know. I feel like anything that is under the EA umbrella nowadays is always looked in that way. 
that they might mess it up. Where are the loot boxes? Where's the microtransactions? But Bioware does have a good track record. So I'm, I'm going to give them a benefit of the doubt when it comes to this game. And hopefully we'll see something very, very soon. So moving on to the next item. Activision is planning to release several rematches in 2020. And this is something I'm, I'm quite excited about. I, I hope it's certain games that I'm, I'm thinking in my brain. I'll definitely talk about it. Uh, so this is from Matt Kim from IGN. Activision says that players can expect many more remasters and reimagined experience from, uh, re experiences from in 2020 after the success of revived franchi franchises like Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. During the Q4 investor call earlier this week, Activision Blizzard CFO Dennis Durkin revealed that in addition to new games and IP, Activision will continue to tap into our portfolio of beloved IP to bring several remastered and reimagined experiences to our players in 2020, which we'll announce closer to launch. So I am deep down hoping that this means we're getting, a, we're getting one of the older Tony Hawk games, remastered, remade, whatever it may be. I love the Tony Hawk series. I was really upset when they completely stopped making Tony Hawk games. I did not play Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5. I read the reviews. I saw what it looked like. It was not the game that I grew up on. It was not the game that I fell in love with. If they can remaster or remake Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, I can guarantee you that game will sell like crazy. I am surprised that they have not banked on those old games. I'm not sure how the licenses work with those games. It's possible that the Tony Hawk brand is back with Tony Hawk and it's not with Activision anymore. We, we were getting really great skateboarding games from EA in the form of Skate. I think they made Skate 1, 2, and 3. Uh, we are unfortunately not getting Skate 4, it seems, even though I would love another Skate game. But if we can at least get a remaster of Tony Hawk, honestly, that's all I need. I have grown up on Tony Hawk. The amount of time I have spent on these Tony Hawk games, I cannot even tell you. I can literally dedicate an entire episode just talking about my love for the Tony Hawk games. I've played them on Game Boy, on my, my 3DS, on my DS, and I just I just love them. I hope that they they go old school when it, com when it comes to the Tony Hawk games. So Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. 3 and 4 were great. I didn't really like them as much. I mean, I still love them. It's not that you know anything was wrong with them. But I think I have the most vivid memories when it comes to those games with the first two. So those two will be really great. I can't think of any other Activision-owned property that they could bring back. They could obviously focus on making more Crash Bandicoot games, more Spyro games, maybe even reimagining or remaking a older Call of Duty game. So maybe Call of Duty Black Ops Remastered. I think that would be pretty cool. Call of Duty Black Ops has arguably one of the best stories of all time when it comes to Call of Duty games. So that would be pretty cool if they remastered that. And with this multiplayer as well, it's really, really fun. So I think I think anything is possible. I'm glad Activision is realizing that they have such such a great catalog of games behind them and they should definitely take advantage of that and at least re-release them even if they're not making something new in those series um I'm, of course I'm, I'm completely at loss in terms of what other stuff they have but in terms of what i can remember of course tony hawk is at the top of the list let's be honest so hopefully at least they're making a new tony hawk game or at least reimagining a tony hawk game and we might see something soon so the next item also comes from ign this is from joseph noop System Shock 3 team is no longer employed following reports of development and publisher woes. So the entire team behind the upcoming System Shock 3 is no longer employed at developer Other Side Entertainment, according to a report from Video Game Chronicle. This follows previous reports of other core members of the team announcing the departure over the past five months, 
including System Shock 3's writer and director, lead programmer, and others. Just this week, design director Chase Jones cha changed his LinkedIn profile to reflect the end of his time at Other Side. The anonymous source also stated that System Shock 3 was critically behind in its development. Apparently, the, the developer also had issues with their publisher, Starbreeze. So an anonymous poster claiming to be a developer from Other Side posted on RPG Codex explaining some additional background information. If Starbreeze hadn't gone into crisis, I think we would have delivered something interesting with some fresh and innovative gameplay, but a much smaller game than what people were expecting and inevitably disappointing for a sequel to such a beloved franchise. I apologize, I'm, I'm saying exactly what I read on the quotation, but basically it seems that once the publisher Starbreeze started having issues, I think this was an issue that was widely publicized sometime in 2019 or maybe even 2018 where they were they were having monetary financial issues at the publisher it makes sense that this developer that was reliant on this publisher to help them market this game to publish this game once that publisher started having its own issues the developer started suffering as well uh, i i hope that this does not mean an end for system shock 3 i've played bioshock i played bioshock 2 and and even bioshock infinite and i know that those games were widely influenced by the System Shock series. So for me, when it comes to this game, I don't have any previous experience with this game, but I was still looking forward to it quite a bit. I know this is the third game in the series, but I believe there was also a remake or a remaster of the first game being made. So it is definitely disappointing that this is what happened. Uh, wishing the best to all the people uh, in the team at other side. I'm sure they will all land on their feet. But this is definitely a big setback for all the fans that really, really like System Shock and we're hoping to see System Shock 3. Hopefully another publisher picks them up and helps publish this game. But we will definitely have to wait a few more months or maybe until the end of the year to see what happens with this developer. So this next article is quite interesting actually. This next article comes from VG247 by Kirk McKeand. This is Phil Spencer defends the lack of exclusives at launch. So we know that... We kind of discussed this earlier on uh, in one of the earlier episodes, how Xbox is taking an approach where they won't be releasing any new, any launch exclusive exclusives for Xbox Series X. So in this article, in a recent interview with Gamertag Radio, Phil Spencer went into a bit more detail about how Microsoft came to the decision, saying Microsoft is putting the player at the center and not putting the device at the center of its vision of the future. One of the benefits that we have sitting inside of Microsoft is we've obviously been close to the development of what's been going on with the PC for years, he explained. I think today, if we look at the PC ecosystem, we see some of the best, highest fidelity games anywhere sitting on high-end gaming PCs. And some of, those, some of those same games you're able to run on PCs that are a few years old that have much less capability. And the state of engines and capability today means that developers have the capability to make full use of the gaming hardware that is in front of them, that's in front of them. Obviously, we built our strategy with Series X. We started with we started with that in mind. We wanted to go build a, we wanted to go build a gaming console that was going to be the absolute best that we could deliver on a television and deliver unique capability to creators that they could use to go create the best games. But you don't want to do that to the exclusion of everybody else, and you also want to do that hand in hand with developers because developers want to find the widest audience possible. And yes, there are always trade offs. So this is quite interesting. I know this was. A bit of an issue, a bit of a controversy a while back when it was first when it first came out because everyone said that, oh, this means that Xbox has already launched. You know, Phil Spencer, Xbox, Microsoft, 
they have already lost the next next generation race, next generation console race. They're going to cater to every console in the Xbox or Microsoft family. So this means all the way back to Xbox One. For most of us that, that know are, are in uh, when it comes to knowing the, the power of all these consoles, we all know that Xbox One was arguably the, the weakest console. A lot of games at the moment, if you do own an Xbox One, I'm sure games still run well enough, but they do have a lot of issues that they do show their age. So now that Xbox is following the strategy where all their exclusives will have to come out on all consoles, it basically means that developers might not be able to fully take advantage of the new technology with the Series X. Now, Series X obviously is being touted as the most powerful console, 12 teraflops this, you know, amazing CPU, SSD, all that stuff. But of course, that console can only do so much if the game that is being put on that console is also being made for the earlier consoles that are not as powerful. So it will be interesting to see how these exclusives play on these new consoles. I'm sure they will still look amazing. I'm sure they will still play great. I don't know if this also applies to third-party games. I don't know if they will have a mandate that says that all third-party games will also need to work across all Xbox consoles. I don't think they will do that. I think a lot of the uh, third-party developers will choose to focus on the console that they want to focus on, the technology that they want to use, and over time we will see games like Call of Duty and FIFA and Madden move away from the older consoles and focus and be focused only for PS5 and the Xbox Series X. So it should be interesting. I do understand the strategy and like the strategy. It is, in all in all, a gamer's first strategy. As a customer, as a gamer, there's nothing about this that should upset you in a way because Phil Spencer and, and Microsoft are overall looking at each gamer and understanding their budget. Not everyone can afford to just go out and buy a new console day one. Not everyone can even afford to buy an Xbox One X or an Xbox One S at the moment. So to be able to give someone who's not in the Microsoft family and, and say that, hey, you don't need to buy this really, really expensive Xbox Series Xbox. You can actually buy the Xbox One or the Xbox One S, which by the time the Series X comes out will be extremely cheap, I'm, I'm assuming. You can probably just get that and experience all these games like Gears of War, Halo, Hellblade. I can only imagine the other exclusives they have lined up in the next couple of years. So overall, it is a great strategy. From a gamer's perspective, I think this is amazing. You know, Microsoft is doing everything right when it comes to the gamers. They are putting gamers first. I don't know what will happen in the next two years. In a couple of years when they move away from releasing their exclusives on the older consoles, I'm not sure how they'll approach that, what type of announcement that will be. You know, one day all the exclusives will be coming out on the older consoles and then one the next day they have a new exclusive, a new trailer or a video that comes out and all of a sudden it says Xbox Series X only or something like that. Like I'm not sure how they'll approach that because they have to get the messaging right for that as well. But I think that will be interesting. I think it's great that they are looking at gamers and understanding that not everyone is going to be able to go out and buy a, a console day one. So it'll be interesting to see what happens by the end of this year. And also with Halo Infinite, I want to see how that game runs on the older consoles. Uh, I know on Xbox One X and maybe even the Xbox One S, it should be it should be good, it should be fine. But if anyone has that OG Xbox One, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how any of those games will run, but only time will tell. So next article, again, coming from IGN. I apologize, I did not bring up 
the writer for this article. I will definitely correct that in the next episode. So this is 2K Games name studio founded by Call of Duty director. 2K Games has officially announced the name of 2K Silicon Valley, a development studio founded in 2019 by ex-Sledgehammer Games co-founder Michael Condry. Going forward, it will be called 31st Union and the studio is already working on a new IP. So I just wanted to bring this up because we were just kind of talking about Dan Hauser leaving Rockstar Games and Take-Two and Take-Two having a new outlook when it comes to their game releases. They want more games to come out. They want to put more time into games that come out more frequently, bigger games, AAA games. And this was obviously really interesting because I believe Michael Connery before this was, of course, at Sledgehammer Games. And more recently, it seems that Sledgehammer Games, which is a, which is mainly known for their Call of Duty games at Activision, uh, I believe that they are now pushed to basically being a, a support group or a support team when it comes to the Call of Duty games. So I'm not, uh, it does make sense that, you know, he maybe wanted to leave at that point. Maybe he saw the shift in Sledgehammer games and decided that, okay, this is the time where, this is the time for me to move. I also believe that Michael Connery was also responsible for Dead Space, the Dead Space games. I could be wrong. Again, this is uh, stuff that I'll, I'll definitely make sure uh, to bring up in the next episode. So it'll be really interesting to see what he brings to the table. He obviously has a good number of games under his belt. He's made good single player games. I didn't get a chance to play Call of Duty World War II, but I have heard from the people that did play it that the, the single player was really great. So best of luck to Michael Condry. Uh, it's great that 2K Games is ready to kind of make more, more and more AAA games, uh, but I always worry at what cost because you never know the stuff that they need to bring down or de-invest in, in a sense, or basically move around to be able to make these triple game, AAA games in such quick succession. We see that with games like GTA V or Rockstar's Red Dead Redemption 2. Sorry, both of them are Rockstar games. You know, they take a long time to make these games, but when these games come out, it's an event. These games are amazing. They take huge technological leaps. So I hope that 2K is obviously pushing more AAA, AAA game development, but I hope it's not at the cost of the creative integrity of the developers, the creative minds, and also focusing on taking technological leaps, especially since we have the new generation of consoles coming out very, very soon. So it should be pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to whatever 2K announces. I know they have a few announcements lined up. Um, this can actually lead up into something I just found on Twitter. I don't even know if I should be bringing this up or I should even be talking about it because it is definitely the most rumor-esque rumor. I know that's not really like a word, but the most rumorous rumor and it's basically a tweet that came out a while back from at rockstar games so this is not actually rockstar games because it actually has the letters at in the in the at for twitter but basically they're teasing that gta 6 teaser trailer will be dropping on february 12th 2020 so i'm recording this on february 11th obviously we'll know in a day if this is true i honestly don't think it's true but i just wanted to bring that up i love speculating i love rumors and since we were talking about 2K, I just kind of wanted to bring it up quickly. Uh, one, another thing I wanted to kind of bring it up quickly was there was a new game announcement today. It's called Outriders from People Can Fly. So this is the, the developer that made Bulletstorm and it's being published by Square Enix. And it's being made for the current gen consoles and also the next gen consoles. And it's supposed to come out in holiday 2020. So I just kind of wanted to bring that up quickly. I saw it. I saw the gameplay. It looked really cool. It has a very, it very much has a Destiny vibe to it. You can tell that that's kind of what they're going for. It had a co-op vibe, almost like a looter shooter type of a thing. Um, they obviously are focusing on story 
from what I could tell, at least from the trailer, I could be wrong, of course, you know, you never know until you actually get the games in your hand. But I'm pretty excited, I won't lie. I, I really like Destiny. I did fall off of Destiny a while back. And I think this might be, this could be the game that I get back in because I really like Bulletstorm. Bulletstorm was very underrated and it was a really, really fun, really, really interesting game. So I hope that, you know, best, on the, best of luck to them. Hopefully it's a really fun game and hopefully we see some gameplay and it comes out and we get more information on the game soon. So next segment we'll move on to is games that I'm playing. This time around, it's, it's literally just one game. I honestly, this is my new gaming love, Sekiro. I, I kind of talked about it last time. I really, really love this game. I have been streaming this on my Twitch channel. So if you get a chance, please check it out. I I finally reached that point in this game. I believe, in the, in, I think in the beginning, I was going through the game. I was being very cautious. I was taking my time. And I think I wasn't really able to kind of get the hang of it. Because it's, it's not like Bloodborne or Dark Souls where you focus on armor building, you know, you focus on your stats, you focus on getting the right sword or right weapon, whatever you, your choice might be. In this one, the focus was mainly on parrying, the timing. It was almost like you're playing like a fighting game, almost like a rhythm game almost. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that's kind of feeling that way. But it's weird, it's almost like you gotta get used to it, you gotta get in the rhythm. And I was being very cautious when I was first playing it because I think that was a mistake I made. I went in thinking I'm going to be playing a Dark Souls game or a Bloodborne game or something like Bloodborne, basically. And I think that's what was holding me back. I was trying to play it like that and I wasn't really enjoying myself. I think once I finally became okay to lose in the game, so if my character gets killed here and there, I think initially I was, I was doing my best to avoid being getting killed. But once I kind of got okay with that, I noticed that it just kind of opened something in my brain. I started getting used to it in terms of the rhythm, in terms of using the parry, the Mikiri counter. Once you figure out Mikiri counter, I feel like I should also like make a PSA for anyone that is, is playing Sekiro and is, is not really able to grasp certain aspects of the game. I would definitely say to learn about the Mikiri counter. You can go to the guy that you can train with at, at the temple go to that guy, go into the training section and, and just practice the Mikiri counter. Once you start using Mikiri counter, I'm telling you, it honestly changes everything. The way I start approaching boss fights, uh, Lady Butterfly, for example, um, I think it was another boss fight after that. I, I can't remember the name. Some of the names are obviously, I, I keep losing track of, but once you kind of get a hang of, of the Mikiri counter, everything becomes so much easier. You feel so much more powerful. You know, Mikiri counter is basically when someone, like when the enemy is attacking you, you basically step on their weapon and push it down in a way, and you kind of stagger them quite a bit whilst you do that. And it just opened a whole new section of the game to me. I honestly am in love with that game. I feel like I dream about it. I'm not joking. I feel like I, I had, I had, I feel like I have like women dreams about, about this game. I keep thinking about it even now, even as I was I was about to start recording this podcast. I was thinking that, you know, should I should I jump in for a bit? But I was like, no, you know what? I'll save it for the stream because I do enjoy streaming this game as well. And it's just such a, it's such a great game that teaches you patience. It teaches you rhythm, to be honest. It teaches you when to block, when to parry. I feel like I can become a better fighting game player. So games like Tekken or Street Fighter by playing a game like this because it honestly teaches you how to respond to certain moves. It, when it comes to Dark Souls and Bloodborne, a lot of times it was me just pressing B or circle, just dodging, 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 getting that opening and going for the hit. In this one, I use a dodge, but not as much. I use my block and the Mikiri counter 
And you know, when I do dodge, it's very much me literally knowing what move is gonna come down, when to do it, learning the timings. So I did not think I would love this game as much as I did. I honestly am so in love with this game. I'm looking forward to finishing it. I'm more and more excited now for Elden Ring, which is their, which is supposed to be from Software's new game that comes out maybe in June this year. Apparently, according to some leaks, that would be pretty amazing. I hope it comes out in June because I think it's, it's one of those games where I'm liking it so much, but it's, I'm also trying to savor it as much as I can. I don't want to spend too much time in it or play too much because I'm so worried that I'm going to finish it soon and then I don't have a Sekiro in my life or I don't have a game like Sekiro. Obviously, I've played Dark Souls 3, I've played Bloodborne, but you know none of, the, none of those games are made in the same way as Sekiro is, challenge you the same way that Sekiro does. And I really, really love this game. For anyone that hasn't tried this game out, I would definitely, definitely recommend it. I, I think it's always on sale nowadays. I mean, if you haven't really played the other Souls games, it's a little hard to recommend because it is pretty tough and you do have to build that patience. And I built that patience because of Bloodborne, because of Dark Souls 3. So I don't know if it will apply for everyone, but if you do kind of see the Souls game and you always want to dabble with it, I feel like Sekiro is perfect. You know, you don't need to worry about when, uh, what armor you have on, what weapon you need, all you need to do is focus on the enemy in front of you, blocking them, parrying them, dodging them at the right time. It's such a great game. And I, I, could, I totally get why it won so many Game of the Year awards after, after playing this. So I'm so glad I finally dedicated myself to just enjoying this game. That's why this was the only game that I have on my games that I'm playing list. Before I know I had Call of Juarez, but I, I haven't gone back to Call of Juarez yet. I will this week. Or, you know, if honestly, if I don't even know because I'm just, I, I just love Sekiro so much. Like if I have even 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour to play a game, rather than playing something short or whatever, I'd rather just jump in Sekiro. Even if it's, I don't make any progress. I just love being in that world and the way you attack and the way you damage enemies, the way you're able to counter them, the way you're able to dodge and be Kiri counter and all that stuff. It's just so cool. It just reminds you of those old school Japanese movies. And I, I, I just love this game. So this is, if I had played this game last year, 2019, I'm pretty sure this would have been my game of the year. But because I'm playing it now, so far this is like right right up front. And other games I played earlier this year actually was Red Dead. So that also, Red Dead Redemption 2. So that also says a lot uh, that I'm, I'm liking this way more than Red Dead. Purely because the gameplay is so good. So moving on, I have one article that I just kind of want to discuss. I, I want to leave this for the end. And it's, it's interesting. I obviously... Don't want to ruffle any feathers with this. Um, it's an article by Forbes. I'm not sure. I, I, I feel like this is doing its rounds right now in, uh, around the internet. It comes from Kevin Murnane from Forbes. And the, the, the article is titled, There is no console war because Xbox has moved on and left PlayStation behind. So I, just want to, I have a few bullet points listed. I'm just going to kind of go through the bullet points and then kind of go through what I'm thinking. So the article kind of states that, you know, the video game industry has moved beyond who, who sells the most consoles. The game industry has produced more than $150 billion in, av uh, uh, in annual revenue. Uh, with films, it's only $42.5 billion. And music, it's at around $19.1 billion. These stats are, first of all, amazing. Good on the gaming industry. There's something that us as gamers always kind of knew. But I'm glad that, you know, more and more people can, more and more people are seeing this as well. Um, this was also, I think, from an article that we had read on an early episode. So Phil Spencer mentioned in his interview with, with Protocol that Microsoft is competing with Google and Amazon, not Nintendo and Sony. So this is obviously mentioning their xCloud approach, their Xbox Game Pass approach, 
And basically, Phil Spencer, obviously, as he said, he wasn't taking any slight towards Sony and Nintendo. But basically, he, he was saying that Microsoft's approach now is, is the cloud and he's competing. And him and his team and Microsoft and Xbox are basically competing with, uh, with Google and Amazon. And Nintendo and Sony are kind of continuing this approach with console launches, game launches for those consoles, using those exclusive games to sell those consoles and repeat. So, of course, you know, it's good that we have people making this kind of change within this industry, taking new approaches, innovating. Uh, but of course, I'm going to get to my, my, my thoughts uh, a little later. So the article continues, To see why cloud hosting, not console sales, is the key to success in the game industry, all you have to do is follow the money. Multiplayer games, mobile games, Twitch, Mixer, and YouTube are all mega money makers, and they are all dependent on cloud hosting. So I understand what this article is saying here. Again, I, I know I'm pausing. I know I should continue going through what the article says. But I just kind of want to go through this really quickly. This thing is specifically talking about cloud hosting, which is, of course, referring to, I'm assuming, the Azure servers with Microsoft, which they have. And of course, that's a, that's a good thing on them to have. I'm sure a lot of companies, including Sony, are obviously approaching Microsoft to get access to their servers so that they can also use it for the PS Now servers in the future. But I don't think this, just because of multiplayer games, because of mobile games, because of Twitch, Mixer, and YouTube, does not mean that cloud is the future and this, that the streaming-based gaming platform is the future in a sense. Uh, but I'll continue. Microsoft, Amazon, and Google have the, have the data centers and Sony doesn't. Sony is still driven to sell consoles because it can't compete in the cloud. So I completely understand this point. Of course, Sony does not have any servers that at least I that I know of. Uh, I think that's why they actually had a partnership or some sort of verbal partnership set in place with Microsoft that they will be utilizing the Azure servers. Uh, this kind of leads into the next bullet point. Actually, it's the last bullet point as well. Uh, the sign was on the wall when Sony and Microsoft announced a partnership last May, allowing Sony to use Microsoft's Azure Cloud service for game streaming. The sign read, Game Over. So now this is kind of what I have a problem with. So, of course, I, I did my best to kind of hold off, but I do not think that just because Microsoft is moving towards the cloud or is focusing, toward, uh, focusing on improving the cloud service in any way means that Sony is in trouble. The cloud service, when it comes to game streaming, from what we have seen, is in the form of xCloud, which is in its beta, and also in the form of Google Stadia, which as we know, as most, most of us know, is not in the greatest shape right now. It does not have a lot of games. People are not necessarily having issues with the service, but are just disappointed with the service overall. And this does not mean, I'm not saying in any way that game streaming is not the future. I definitely don't like the approach that people take when they want to compare game streaming or why this is the future when they compare it to stuff like Netflix or Spotify or YouTube or even multiplayer games, you know, or Twitch, Mixer, stuff like that. The thing is that when it comes to game streaming game streaming is going to be something that's active when you're when you're streaming a song on spotify or if you're streaming this podcast on spotify or any streaming platform that's very passive so there's a set file let's say 700 800 megabytes one gigabyte two gigabyte that is basically being loaded and you know you're watching it it might buffer in between you you don't mind you're like whatever that's fine you pause for a second play it again, it'll keep playing. Nowadays, you don't really have that buffer issue as, as much in most cities. 
But some people, obviously, I'm sure they have like some issues when it comes to that. But the end, at the end of the day, it's you know it's a passive thing. You're sitting back, you're listening to a song. You're sitting back, you're listening to a podcast. You're sitting back, you're watching a movie. When it comes to a game, this is something that is active. You know, you're taking part of this. You're basically when you're playing a game and you're moving and it lags, that actually makes your gaming experience worse. So it's not the same as you know when a, a game or when a movie is buffering or a, a song is buffering or a podcast is buffering. When a game is playing, you need it to be smooth. You need to you need you need to make sure that there are no issues. You need to make sure that you can pause and come back, and there's no problems. You need to make sure that just because your internet goes out, you know your your game doesn't just shut down just because of that. I feel that people are looking at game streaming as as a thing uh, when they compare it to things like Spotify and Netflix and Amazon Prime and and all of that, and 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 look at that and look at these services and say that hey look at movies, look at music, they've gone to the streaming side. It only makes sense that games are going there, but games are an active, is an active activity. Obviously, I'm sure I can word that better, but you know, it's an active activity. So I don't understand this view that game streaming is the future. I think obviously game streaming could take over over time, but that's going to be many, many, many years in the future because there's so much work. The infrastructure is still being built. And once the infrastructure is built, you'll still need a lot more time after that to reiterate on existing innovations, the existing technologies to get it to the point where streaming games will will feel seamless, you know, and it will basically feel like you're playing a game on a local disk drive. So, I mean, besides that, besides all of that, that's kind of my view when it comes to streaming and all the stuff that I, I hear about it again and again. The main thing with this article that definitely did, I did not like was the approach that, or the, the thought that, Xbox is moving forward, but Sony, Sony is staying behind. You know, that it, it, Xbox is taking this approach, first of all, because of how they performed this last generation. I can guarantee you, if Xbox did well this past generation, Microsoft did well this past generation, and told, let's say, as much as Sony, if not more, we would not be having this conversation right now. This is purely Microsoft kind of changing changing the stance because they have realized that they need to invest in games they need to invest in exclusives and that's going to take a lot longer than what they had thought in their in their heads and it's going to take a lot longer than when this new generation starts so even though the xbox series x is coming out this year it's going to have halo infinite and maybe a new forza but people are clamoring for something new something different the same way how sony brought bloodborne and you know, Ratchet and Clank. I know that's like that's an old, uh, older game, but you know something like Horizon Zero Dawn or, or the new God of War, stuff like that. So that's kind of what people want, and I think I think Microsoft realized that. Look, this is what people want. This is what will sell consoles, but we obviously don't don't have those developers set up or don't have those studios set up yet, and that's going to take time. And I think that's what happened was because they realized that it's going to take a while for these studios to actually spit out some of these awesome AAA or quadruple A games at, at sometime in the future, I think that's kind of when they said that, okay, you know what? Maybe we should take another approach. Maybe we should try Xbox Game Pass. And that became a hit. Xbox Game Pass does really well. I already talked about it last time as well. I love Xbox Game Pass. I think it's one of the best deals in gaming. I feel like every should everyone should have it, especially if you have a gaming PC and an Xbox. I don't know why you don't have it. It honestly gives you access to so many, so many great games. So, you know, they kind of took that approach. They saw how successful that was. And now they started moving towards game streaming, same as Google Stadia, and they're kind of competing with Google on, on that front. 
So, you know, I, I like that they're taking this approach and I like that there, there is a bit of variety when it comes to these companies. When it comes to Microsoft, when it comes to Sony, I'm glad that there's a bit of competition, you know, when it comes to them uh, with console sales and all that. But I also like that Microsoft is saying that, okay, we have our console, we have this console fight with Sony here and there, but we're also going to try something else, you know, on this side. And I'm, I'm hoping that Sony does something similar, not necessarily with streaming because I know they have PS Now and I know that they were going to focus on PS Now more and more in the future. And I believe that PS Now already has more games than Xbox Game Pass. Obviously not compared to xCloud. I don't know uh, how many games xCloud has. But I, I, I believe that PS Now has more games. So they're all, they are already invested in that sort of an ecosystem. But I definitely think that, you know, it's good to have companies taking, taking different approaches. But in no way means that a company is moving forward and Sony and Nintendo are being left behind. Sony and Nintendo are competing in this space, in this console space, because this is a very lucrative market. This is making a lot of money for Sony. They have sold over 100 million something consoles. The way Nintendo Switch is going, I won't be surprised if they reach 100 million as well. Their games sell like crazy. So, you know, they're profiting from this. They're making a lot of money from this. And I think over time, they will implement some form of game streaming or game subscription service into their platform. But I think it's good to have different companies with different viewpoints and different approaches. And it's good to have companies like Sony and Nintendo that are focused on core gamers or hardcore gamers that just want a box, that just want a console that sits in their living room and they can play their console, they can put their game in, they can collect their CDs, you know. I think it's okay for companies to have that and to cater to another audience. And of course, Microsoft taking the approach to try and reach 7 billion people, you know, try to reach everyone that has an iPhone. And, you know, obviously that is going to take a lot, a lot of time, which is probably why Microsoft is still dedicated to having a console out this generation, which is why they have Series X coming out and probably a cheaper console in the future. But I, I just kind of wanted to kind of reiterate that, that in no way Xbox taking this approach of focusing on cloud means that they are ahead of Sony and Nintendo, or they are kind of thinking about the future. They understand the future better than Sony and Nintendo, Nintendo do, and Sony and Nintendo are doomed to fail in the future because of how they are approaching the the games, the, the video game console, video game industry as a whole. So I kind of want to just talk about that. I found that article really interesting. So please go check it out. Uh, check it out uh, if you if you get a chance. It's on Forbes. It's by Kevin Murnay. Once again, it's called "There's No Console War Because Xbox Moved On and Left PlayStation Behind." So this is where we will end the podcast. I want to keep the podcast a little shorter. Like I said at the beginning of the show, we're trying something new. Please follow the podcast, subscribe, send me messages on my email. All my links and everything are in the description. So you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter. Follow me on Twitch. I will be streaming Sekiro for the rest of the week. I will also be playing Hitman, continuing to play Hitman in my whole Hitman outfit. And it's really fun. I love that game. So please join me again. And yes, I will be doing this podcast again around the same time next week. And we'll again focus on keeping it the same length next week as well. So thank you, everyone. I hope everyone has a wonderful week ahead. And let's hope for some cool news to come out in the meantime. Thank you and bye.